Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our series called Acts to the Ends of the Earth. Over the course of 10 weeks, we'll see how God worked through the apostles and the early church to spread the good news of Jesus coming to save both Jews and Gentiles. Acts shows us how as Christians, we need to be consumed with the love of Christ and seek to transform our community and the entire world by the gospel. There are some passages in scripture that make you want to yell hallelujah. And there are some passages in scripture that make you want to go, yikes. Today's reading is kind of in the yikes category. If you are opening your pew Bible to page 839, our reading begins in Acts chapter 4, and I'll begin reading in verse 32. All the believers were of one heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. They shared everything they had, and the apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great favor was upon them all. There was no poverty among them because people who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money to the apostles to give to others in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles for those in need. There was also a man named Ananias, who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, but he claimed it was the full amount. His wife had agreed to this deception. Then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men, then some young men wrapped him in a sheet and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for the land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of doing a thing like this, conspiring together to test the spirit of the Lord? Just outside that door are the young men who buried your husband, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell on the floor and died, When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and all others who heard what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Brother Bill. If I had, if I said the phrase, the struggle is real, have you ever heard that? Huh? I, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear that statement. For me, I think of getting three kids up in the morning um, or trying to get my daughter to school or she'll beg me to stay up late, right? Can I have one more cookie, 15 more minutes? And my answer is always yes and amen. And what that causes between me and my wife is a distinct disagreement. Um. But, no, seriously, 
she, she then goes to get up in the morning and she's like, I'm so tired. I don't know why I'm tired. And I'm like, well, the struggle is real, but you got to go to school. Um, now, that's just the first thing that comes to my mind. For some of you, when I say that, you may think of your marriage or a past one. You may, think of, you may think of your kids. You may think of a situation at work. Um, but for some of us in the room today, what may come to your mind is church. How many of you, I'm going to take a poll, how many of you have ever been in a church or around a church where you have been hurt ignored, wounded, got upset about something, saw a fight, or something in the church made you question whether God was real. I want you to raise your hand. I want you to look around the room. Keep your hand up. There's no shame here. All right, you can put your hands down. There is no perfect Church. And the reason there is no perfect church is because you're here. Oh, you didn't see it going that way, did you? No, you didn't. I had a pastor tell me when I was interning, he said, Carl, ministry would be a dream. If it wasn't for people. We have all, I remember distinctly growing up in a church where I, I was at, the, we were at the church every time the doors were open. And so that was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, church business meetings, dinners, fellowships, fried chicken, you name it, if people were at the church. In fact, when other people weren't at the church, I was at the church because my parents served in the church. So I was there early, we stayed late. And I distinctly remember we had a church business meeting one Sunday night, and you may remember a church business meeting like this. If you've ever been to a church business meeting, times past, and I remember the the pastor at the time, he really took me under his wing. He was a, a, a shepherding pastor. He just had such care for his people. Um, and I remember him getting up and, and dealing with a particular situation. There was a man at the back. And they always sit at the back for some reason. They sit at the back when they get ready to squabble. Um, they sit at the back. And they come out of nowhere. This guy stands up at the back of the church. And he begins to berate and rake my pastor over the coals in front of all the members that were there because his opinion mattered more than anybody else's, I guess, or whatever reason he felt. And I, standing in this pulpit today, can see that picture in my mind. Similar to the moment, I remember the moment, I can also picture in my mind the day my father and mother told us they were separating. Burned in my mind. I remember the looks and the glares when my parents announced their divorce and no one would talk to us at church. I remember it. 
burned in my mind. I can picture it. Some of you have those same, same, very similar situations. And so what we're going to talk about today is difficult. Uh, uh, Brother Bill said it exactly right. This is a yikes passage. And and we're t- we've been talking about things that are so beautiful and so awesome the last couple weeks. Why would you do this? Well, I can't just skip over this one. <laughs> we're going through the whole book. I can't just skip over it because where there are sinful people in need of Jesus Christ, there is bound to be hurt. And we will cause that hurt to each other. And how we navigate struggle. Everybody say struggle. How we navigate struggle matters. Life as a Christian does not remove you from struggle. I wish I had better news. But that's even within the church. It's not just outside of church. That is within the church. And so what we're going to look at today is three struggles. And I've got to move. I'm covering four chapters today. Can you believe it? No, no one believes it. We're covering four chapters today, and so I've really got to move. But week one, we talked about Acts 1-8, where if you flip over just one page, it tells us what the whole book of Acts is about, and it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so this whole story we're reading for the next 10 weeks is about the spread of the good news of Christ, the pretty and the ugly, throughout the book of Acts. And our hope is that we are able to take what the Lord has put on display here in this story and apply it to our lives. Surely you didn't come today thinking that this was just an information download session. You have to take what we learned today and apply it. Well, three people are excited about that, so that's wonderful. (laughs) It's going to be a tough Sunday. And last week, we just proclaimed the gospel, that the gospel finds us right where we are. It is honest with us. The gospel is honest with us about us, meaning that the Bible, the gospel will tell us the truth about ourselves. And this truth, we already know it to be. Um, what, What would it mean if we read the Bible and God came to us and said, you're awesome. But then you go home and you know what happens in your heart behind closed doors. You know how you act when no one's looking. You know, you know the sinfulness in your heart and mind. So what kind of God would it be if he came in and said, you're great? It would be conflicting, and he really wouldn't be God. The gospel tells us the truth about ourselves, and the truth is that you're a sinner and that you need Jesus Christ. The gospel also fully pardons us, okay? So he tells us who we are, that we are sinners, and then he gives us a way out. In the good grace of Christ, and then... The gospel demands a response. So that's what we talked about last week. That you always respond to the gospel. You always respond. You will either accept it, not just at the point of conversion, but all throughout your Christian walk, you have got to accept the gospel. You've got to accept it or you will deny it. 
and it will harden you. You will either become more softened to the things of the Lord or you will become more hardened. But you will always respond to the gospel. You accept it or ignore it. And so let me paint a picture here of where we're at. This gospel, this good news, this download of the, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2 and empowered them to be empowered witnesses all throughout. And um, 120 people went to 3,120 people in one sermon. That's a good sermon. Don't you think? I think so. Yeah. Um, and then we get to chapter three. Now I'm going to blow through chapter three very quickly. I don't have time to kind of linger there, but this story in chapter three is pretty amazing. So all this cool stuff is going on. The church has been born by the power of the spirit. They, um, all these people are in town. They, they say close to 3 million people were in Jerusalem at this time. Three million. Some people are like, how can thousands? Maybe their numbers are skewed. If you've been in church any amount of time, we call those evangelistic numbers. Uh, evangelistic numbers are, are numbers where you're like, how many people were there? Oh, there were somewhere around 275. Okay, so there were 350 people there. Um, you may have a fishing buddy who has had really big fish that you were sure were not that big. Evangelistic numbers. But Luke, we know something about Luke. He was a doctor. He was very accurate. He was a man of the facts. And so it is not um, crazy to think that 3,000 people would come to know the Lord in a city where 3 million people are there and present. And this, what it has created is this new community where people are devoted to the teaching of the gospel and they are devoted to it with gladness and generosity. That's how the church is depicted. Peter and John walk up, holds out his cup. Hey, can you give me some alms? Give me some money. He does this all, the, all day, every day. People see him every day at the same spot, every single day, crippled, can't do anything for himself, begging for money. Peter and John walk up, now empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they look down at him and they say, look at us. That's a little intimidating. I can say that in here, but if it's just me and you at a restaurant and we're sitting across the table and I go, look at me. It's weird. Peter goes, look at us. And he said, I don't have any money, but what I have, I will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, Get up and walk. And so this man who's been sitting here for 40 years gets up and walks. Now imagine you're doing your routine temple visit for the day and the guy you've been seeing there for the last 15, 20 years comes strutting into the... T I'm sure that's not exactly what he did. But obviously what happened? It draws a crowd. It draws a crowd. Um, this crowd comes around and Peter takes the opportunity. Peter says, look at all these people that are around. I'm going to preach another sermon. He preaches his second sermon in Acts chapter 3. And, and here's the speedy version. It's just like the first one. He didn't say, hey, let's make our way back over to where the spirit was moving. 
for me to display the God. Let me give you the gospel over there. No, he says right here at this time, at this moment, I'm going to share the gospel that you need Jesus Christ. And while he's in the middle of it, this is wild. This is crazy. If while today I am proclaiming the gospel to you and the back doors of this sanctuary flung open, police come in here and, and clink me up. This is what happened to Peter. They clink him up, clink, clink. Have you ever been in cuffs? No, don't raise your hand. I'm kidding. Don't. I don't, I don't want to know. They said, we're going to shut this guy up. Okay, so I can almost imagine Peter. They're hauling him away. Off to jail he goes. And he's proclaiming the gospel. Jesus, the Messiah. 5,000 people come to know the Lord as he's being dragged away in cuffs. Now, some of, some of you just would not go there. No, nobody wants to join. Nobody's like, hey, hook me up too. But this is where we see our very first struggle is in chapter four. He gets arrested and they, they take him to jail. And, and the very first struggle they run into is this hardened hearts. Everybody say hardened hearts. Hardened hearts. So the gospel demands a response. Some of us will be softened, but some of us will harden. And the religious people at the time were not having it. Now look, it's hard for them. Look at 8 through 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. He's been arrested. Here he is, filled again with the Holy Spirit. So we don't really teach second baptism, but we do teach third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, a hundredth baptism. There's, you need to be constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And in jail, he goes, you guys are questioning us about this crippled man. But he was healed by Jesus of Nazareth. There he goes again. Jesus of Nazareth, the guy they just posted right above his head and killed him. Jesus of Nazareth healed him. What do you mean? We just killed Jesus. No, you didn't. They, he proclaims the gospel right here to the same guys that have arrested him. And then he even says here, um, he quotes scripture to the scriptural elite, the preachers at the time. He quotes scripture to them and says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Didn't we sing about that today? And then I love verse 12 of chapter 4. It says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. This is why it's hard for the Sadducees, the religious folks at the time, because salvation for them was a what? Everybody say what? What, what you do, how you do it, what good, how, what kind of sacrifice can you bring? Is it pure enough? Can you earn it? Can you keep it? It was a what? But now salvation has a name. Now salvation is a who? Now salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. This is different than what they've than their understanding at the time. As a matter of fact, these preachers, it says in 13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, when they could see they were just ordinary men with no special training. Let me put this in layman's terms. They looked at them and said, these bunch of idiots, 
have now outsmarted us. So if you're in here today and you feel like I am not the intellectual elite, welcome home. Yay, that's good. That's good. Salvation isn't a what, it's a who. And this was a game changer for them. You know what our you know what the number one fear is? You know what everyone's number one fear is? Rejection. Rejection. There, there are a couple of responses. When you start getting clink clinked for the gospel, um, or you start feeling rejected for what you're saying is true, we have a problem in all, our culture with this. We will, so we don't feel rejected, we will make compromise because we want to feel accepted. For some reason, the gospel for many Christians just isn't enough acceptance. They need to be accepted in the here and now. But this was not Peter and John. In the face of rejection, they stood firm. They stood bold. The gospel will rub against the rebellion of those we proclaim it to. Listen, when you start telling people about Jesus... And that they're sinners, it is going to rub them the wrong way. Frankly, if you're a Christian and the gospel isn't rubbing against the sinfulness in you, I I think you've not understood the gospel. The gospel message will rub against the rebellion of those we proclaim it to. The very first struggle they run into is hardened hearts. Have you ever shared the gospel with someone over and over and over again and just get discouraged because they, they don't get it? It is a real struggle. There are people too that I am thinking of in this moment that I wish would accept the gospel. People I love, people I care about. But just because they keep turning their heart against it does not mean I back off from boldly proclaiming it. Okay. Struggle number two. I got to move. Struggle number two. So um, after this encounter, so here's what the religious folks do. <laughs> they, this, these guys just healed a dude. And if we punish them, we're going to have a riot on our hands. So they're like, we're going to let these guys go, but we need to tell them, you shut up. You be quiet. You don't say nothing else about this. So that's what they did. Big, bad religious folks, they let them go. And um, they let them go. And so this is the response. They've been arrested. Peter and John get back to the crew. And you know what they pray? Oh, you've got to read this prayer. Look at this. Look at 29 of verse 4. It says, And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they preached the word of God with boldness. 
These guys just came back from being arrested and they said, give us more signs. Give us more wonders. Show us more of what you can do. Give us more power and we'll preach boldly. Give us more. What we find about the church, and we'll see this all through the book of Acts, is that the more pressure that is put on the church, the more it spreads. We should not be people that look at pressure and struggle and say, God has abandoned us. No, God is working in and through us, through the struggle. We should not be giving up. Okay. So then... Uh, it talks a little bit. They start sharing possessions. This is not new. We saw this at the very beginning of the church. They were joyous and what? They were generous. So people started selling land. Uh, Brother Bill uh, read about it this morning. There's this guy named Joseph. They called him Barnabas. Have you heard of Barnabas before? Barnabas sold a piece of his land and gave all the money to the church. This was something that was going on. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, they look at all this, man, look at how people are celebrating Barnabas. So they say, we want to get some of that same praise. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sell some of our land and we're going to give it to the church, but we're not going to, we're going to hold back some. We're going to tell everybody we're giving all of it. We're actually going to hold back a little bit for ourselves. Number one struggle we face as the gospel goes forward is hardened hearts. The second is hypocrisy. The second struggle the church faces as it grows and as the gospel is proclaimed is there is a threat of hypocrisy. I could stay here for the rest of the sermon and skip the whole last struggle, but I need to finish this. Ananias and Sapphira felt like they, they, want, they had learned the actions and the lingo, but not the heart. The biggest threat to the church today, the biggest threat to you, you ready? You paying attention? You know what's your biggest threat today? The biggest threat to your walk with Jesus Christ is that you walk through these doors and think you can pretend. And look, I've said this before. You can fool me. But Peter said it right here. You think you can fool God? Now, this is in particular around giving. But the heart of this text is this. Pride kills Pride kills. What is the root of hypocrisy? Your pride. The fact that you think you can pull one over on the Lord. What does this look like? Where does hypocrisy come from? It comes from pride. We cannot afford to pretend to be more than we are. So for some of you, this is scary. And for some of you, this is going to be a license for freedom this morning. You don't have to pretend anymore. Some of you are so scared right now that I'm even saying this. But Carl, what if they found out that I'm not all that I say that I am? The gospel already told you that. Oh, 
I, I'm, I, get, I get amped because um, I see it constantly. People come in here, they look me in the eye, they tell me everything's great when I know things are not. You're not fooling God. It's a gospel understanding issue. Um, I heard a pastor say it this way, you've already been outed on the cross. You've already been outed on the cross. The cross gives you the out. Your sinfulness is worthy of death, and Christ died to free you from that penalty. So why are you afraid about me finding anything out about you that the cross is already covered? Hypocrisy, hypocrisy, hypocrisy. It's often, I bet, if I were to dig into your stories about being wounded or hurt in the church, it would be because somebody was hypocritical. They preached one thing, lived another. Yeah. The answer to hypocrisy, you want to know what that is? You want to know what the answer is? True community. True community. What do I mean by that? Being known. Being known. I was working uh, a couple churches ago. And I had one of my volunteers come to me, and somebody had come to them with a, uh, they had said some really harsh things about them. And they came to me and they said, he said, Carl, do you see this in me? Tell, tell me the truth. Do you, do you see this in me? This is the heart of true community. It's that it's a place where, one, we can tell you the truth about who you are and the things we see in you, and you are able to receive that. But some of us are more comfortable just being hypocrites. Some of us are way more. Our pride, our arrogance will keep us from the freedom Christ has for us. It will keep you from it. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, if I were to take you there, it would tell you that two is better than one. And so I would ask you, who's in the fight with you? Who is it that knows you? Who knows you? We say this constantly, but there is nothing more freeing than being fully known and fully loved at the same time. That someone knows all my deep, dark secrets and they love me the same. It is an extension of the gospel. True community is an extension of the gospel to us that you don't have to pretend to be more than you are. I already know because the gospel proclaims it. You're a sinner. You fall short. You need Christ. So do I. Stop pretending. Stop pretending. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Community is how you can, in this, this, before we go on to be with the Lord, in this life, this is how you can fight hypocrisy by being known, having someone in your life that is going to be honest with you, and you're not going to kick back and just say, oh, they just have a problem with me. No, maybe you just need to be open to your heart being sinful. Maybe you just need to be open to repentance. 
But pride and arrogance will keep you from those. I sit in counseling sessions right in my office, right across the building, and people will look me in the face and tell me everything is okay when they go home and things are a wreck. But they won't be honest. They'll just be hypocrites. They'll let pride and arrogance come before their marriage, before their kids, and they will absolutely allow pride and arrogance to come before their relationship with the Lord. I didn't expect a ton of amens during this section, but I, I figured. Um, and, and here's the fear, right? What if they betray me? Right? Isn't that the fear? Can I tell you, I'm 34 years old, and I would say the last 10, 15 years is when I've really started to try and live this out. And can I tell you, one, I have been betrayed more times than I can count. People will betray you. And can I, it hurts. It hurts to bear your soul to someone and then to have them take that and use it against you. Let me, let me tell you, though, very, very clearly, this is hard, but it is absolutely worth it. The freedom you experience in Christ by being in this type of relationship. The gospel calls us out from hiding and to walk with people who are, okay? So this is two-sided. And I'm going I'm to have to close. I don't know if I'm going to make it this last point. I just feel like i got to sit here because some of y'all are wrestling with this right now in your spirit. I see the Holy Spirit at work in your eyeballs. You are so afraid that somebody's going to find out That you have a jealousy problem or, or you really don't like people. <laughs> and look, let me tell you something. If anything will challenge that sinful desire in you just to not like people, being in ministry will do it, okay? You get to see the best and worst. Let me tell you today, it is absolutely worth it. So, so the gospel would say this. It, if, you're, if you're hiding today, Oh, what if, I don't want them to know this about my kids. I don't want them to know this about my family. I don't want them to know this about my business. My past is ugly. Oh, it's dirty, pastor. I can't let it. You need to come out from hiding. The cross is calling you out. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Come out. And then listen to me. Listen, listen to your pastor. When someone comes to you, oh, hear me clearly today. When someone comes to you and they come out of hiding with all their luggage and they're like dragging this and they lay it open before you, you better respond with the posture of a person who has been redeemed of the same ugliness that you are being presented with. It's two-sided. We have to be willing to come out from hiding, but we also have to be willing to come from a posture of eye to eye and not, oh, look how Christian I am. Remember what you've been redeemed from and allow it to impact your relationships with other redeemed people. Your sin was just as ugly. Your sin had the same price. 
We have to walk alongside people better. We've got to do better. Be known. Say it. Be known. known. We got to put sin to death. Okay, so they face some more opposition. And I'm going to seal it up with this last one. They struggled with hardened hearts. They struggled with hypocrisy in chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. I thought about getting up here (laughs) and telling you that if you lie in church, you're going to (laughs) die. And then you all be dead. So that's it. Y'all gone. (laughs) But that's that's not what it's saying. It's calling us out. It's also very poignant. As the church grows and in your home, okay, so they're still in Jerusalem. They have not spread outside of Jerusalem. They're still in Jerusalem. It is so important to deal with sin. It is important to address sin. You have to address it. People don't like this aspect of church community that we deal with sin, but The Bible calls Christians, if you're a follower of Christ, when we see sin, we should be confessing it, repenting from it, and putting it to death. Not white-knuckling it. I can control it, Carl. I, I I I can get it under control. No, you can't. No, you can't. Christ can. Christ can. Time to put it to death. Hardened hearts, hypocrisy, number three, adapting. Um... As we get towards uh, chapter 6, verse 38. So they get in some trouble again. This Peter and John bunch. They get in trouble again. Were you troubled as a child? (laughs) Today? I don't, okay. Verse 38 says, so so this guy, they've been kind of pulled aside again. And one of these religious folks has this little thing to say. He says, so my advice is this, leave these men alone, let them go. If they were planning and doing these things merely on their, their own, it will end, it will be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. How much wisdom does this do to have? You may even find yourselves fighting against God. That is powerful, isn't it? So, they, they are like, okay, this guy's got a point. He's got a point. If it's God, it'll keep going. So they just take Peter and John out and they flog them. You know what flogging is? It's not like pickleball, okay? It's not like, I know pickleball's the new thing, right? I don't play pickleball. Who plays pickleball in here? I know, I got some pickleballers over here. Um, flogging means they strap you to something and then they beat you with a stick or a whip. So it went from just, hey, be quiet, to now we're going to flog these dudes and tell them the same thing, be quiet. The apostles left from their beating, in verse 41, rejoicing. (laughs) This is wild. They left from their beating, rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they continue to teach and preach. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one who says he is. And then in chapter six, we see where there was some adapting to be done. 
As the gospel grows, it will cause kinks in the plan. Logistically, uh, we all get a little uncomfortable. Some things get missed. And that's what happened here in uh, chapter 6. There were some, they call them Hellenistic Jews. Okay, so during the diaspora, when uh, the Jews were kicked out of their homeland, they went to all other regions of the world. And so they all would come back to Jerusalem for these different festivals and feasts. And so then they came to know Jesus Christ and they were, they stayed in town. They said, I'm going to stay with church. Well, some of the four, quote, foreign Jews, the, the, um, the Hebrew speaking Jews kind of, they thought they had dabbled too much in the outside world. And so there was a little bit of judgment there. Um, but some of the widows weren't getting distributed too correctly. And this is where we get deacons. If you're a deacon in the room, stand up. If you're a deacon in the room, stand up. Did you know this is where you began? They all know this. Why don't you give our deacons a hand? You can be seated. The deacon's function is to help us serve the body of Christ so that the elders of the church, we can pray and preach the gospel and focus on the spiritual development of the church. And our deacons play such a vital role in the ministry. Vital and caring for those. And so they were actually developed out of this process. Um, But I I want to just point out one thing. Big picture, and I'm closing. This is it. Satan loves to use unintentional wrong to begin conflict. Satan loves to use unintentional Wrong to create conflict. I used to want this text to say something completely different. But when you just preach the text, here's what you find Satan tried to harden hearts and he was successful. Satan tried to um, get some hypocrisy going and he said, Well, if I can't do if, these th- if they're going to confront all these things, let me try dividing and distracting them. Let me try dividing and distracting them. Division and distraction are Satan's primary tools in how we respond to division and distraction is important. As I've grown up in church, oftentimes I would look at those who are creating division and distraction and point my finger at them when Paul would readily tell me that we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness in this world. What we're fighting against, what we're fighting for is so important. We have to be willing to adapt and keep the gospel at the center. We have to be willing to adapt and keep the gospel at the center. Let's look at verse 7. This is where I want to end. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. And watch, many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Can, can I... Can I 
encourage you with something very, very quickly. These Jewish priests who were just presenting hardened hearts, look, the gospel can turn any hardened heart. I can't tell you how many marriages have met with me in that room and said there's no hope. God can turn any hardened heart. That loved one you've been praying for that you said, there's no way. There's no way they'll come to the Lord. Yes, they can. Their hearts, the gospel can be proclaimed on repeat to them and it is powerful enough to turn any hardened heart. The devil thought, if I could just get them to feel rejected and give up, if I could just get them to pretend and play church but never actually experience true freedom, if I could just get them distracted and divided. Here's what we need to say today. When I feel rejected, I'm going to remember the cross. When I am drawn towards hiding away, I'm going to seek out true gospel community. Not just community that's going to puff me up and rub my back, but a community that's going to say, this is true of you. God loves you anyway. Let's walk through this together. And when I find myself divided and distracted, I will adapt and keep the gospel at the center of my own heart. Listen, as we close today and we get ready to tune our hearts around the gospel and to turn our eyes upon Jesus. If you're facing struggle today, not abnormal. Don't feel weird. Specifically, don't feel like you have to hide it. Let your church family come alongside you and say, Jesus is big enough. The gospel is strong enough. He is good. He is true. He is lovely. Let us walk alongside this together. We want to see victory in your life. We want to see that. So as we close at the kind of middle of chapter six here, we're going to start at the end of chapter six tomorrow where death comes into the picture. Death for the sake of Christ. I want to encourage you to do this. When you face struggle, I want you to turn to God. This is what they did. They didn't ignore it. They didn't turn away from it. They didn't say, oh, it'll just deal with itself. No, they, they faced it head on. They preached the gospel into it. And then they kept moving forward. They kept moving forward. I'm pleading with you not to let life's struggles stop you from all that God has called you to do and be. He's calling you forward. He's calling you forward linked arms with godly community that's going to love you through every ugly. Let's pray. Father, you're so good. I'm so thankful today that I have someone to turn to in every struggle that life presents. I have someone to turn to today, right now, in the ugliness of my sin. I know, I know me 
your Holy Spirit is revealing my need for you right now, I want to turn to you. Help us to turn to you today. In every struggle, in every mountain uh, time where it feels like we just, it's always uphill, that we're not making any progress. God, help us to turn to you. Let us help, uh, help us to get our hearts centered around the good news that you know us, you see us, and you died for us anyway. Help us today to cling to the cross, cling to you. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Everyone said, Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.